So I guess the question then for every person is, do I want to rely on my obedience or Christ's? Today on A Word of Grace, we want to talk about what the obedience of Christ has to do with accomplishing our atonement. Hebrews chapter, what chapter is it? Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. Derek, we were, we were just saying that that's an issue that Christians struggle with, Christ learning something. Yes, I think uh, it sets us all back on our heels as far as uh, Christ having to learn anything because we acknowledge the fact that he is God. Uh, But as I was preparing uh, for this session, I was reading uh, Puritan John Owen, who gave some good perspective on that. He said that uh, Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, he uh, does know and understand obedience from a theoretical perspective, but as a human being, he had to learn uh, obedience from an experiential perspective. Yeah. And that's, even we were talking about how Christians, when they come to the Bible, sometimes we think we have to fully grasp all of the doctrine and we just aren't going to be able to do that. No. And that can, be, that can be comforting in a way because we know God's ways are higher than our ways, but sometimes we start to struggle with that. Like we want to be able to grasp everything, and we just aren't going to be able to. The Bible talks about the work of the atonement as being one of obedience, of, of Christ's obedience to the Father and, and how... Um, he came really as a servant. In fact, in Isaiah 40 to 52 or 3, there's those four servant songs we have where um, God tells us to behold the servant, look at his servant. Um, Scripture uses that term so much, the idea of his obedience, that it's almost like obedience can be the principle behind all of, um, all of Christ's work, that he was just obedient to the Father. Well, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, it makes me think of uh, John 6 and 38, which uh, states that uh, Christ said he came to do the Father's will. And that presupposes obedience yeah. as it relates to Christ. The, the agreement, talk about this for a second, um, Derek, the agreement that the Father and Son made in eternity past where the second member of the Trinity, the Son, agrees to be the servant of the, of the, of the Father. What? Right. Uh, I don't believe that there was an inter-Trinitarian inter- flip of the coin who's going to go. Yeah. But I do believe that within the sovereign wisdom and eternal nature of God, uh, Christ of his own volition chose to go, and we'll, and we'll uh, discuss that in more detail later, mm-hmm. but that was an act of, to me, an act of obedience within itself, to say, Lord, uh, Father, I'll go. The, 
the Bible expresses it in Philippians as his humility. He humbled himself, not thinking that equality with God was something to be grasped. I think that's what the King James says. Right. It's a way we memorized mm-hmm. so many things. But, but it really means he did, not, he did not consider his position in heaven with God to be something to be held on to at all costs. I think of children that are dragged away from something they want to do, nails on the carpet even. Like Christ did not get kicked out of heaven as an unwilling servant. Mm-hmm. He was the willing servant of the Father, right? And, and ultimately the basis of that was love. Uh, it wasn't the fact that he would have to come and die that he was only expressing his love, but because of who God is within himself. He is love, and that was the very basis of redemption. And we may talk about this in the weeks to come. When we consider obedience, I don't mean for this question to come out of left field as if you're not ready for it or whatever, but I'm sure you will be. Could you tell us why the Bible... Or, or what significance the Bible has in calling Jesus the second Adam? What, what significance is there, especially as it relates to obedience? Well, yeah, um, he's referred to as the second Adam because Adam, who was the federal head of the human race, uh, was given the opportunity to live a holy life and live in obedience to God, and he failed miserably. Well, Christ comes along. He didn't just happen along, but Christ came along in the plan of God, and he replaced Adam to uh, do obedience correctly. Where Adam failed, Christ comes to succeed. Absolutely. The, The obedience of Christ is, in theological terms, often referred to as in two ways. There's the passive obedience of Christ and the active obedience of Christ. How do you understand those two terms? Okay, initially I understand it, understood it uh, incorrectly. I was thinking that active was simply his obedient life and passive was uh, his passion and his death. And even though it involves that uh, from learning Murray, uh, reading Murray's book, I learned that uh, Christ was active in all aspects uh, of the active and passive aspect of, uh, of obedience in that uh, his life was one of sovereign volition, meaning that he volunteered, but he was in complete control. He orchestrated all events. He was not a victim of circumstances or a victim of a hungry mob at the uh, cross, uh, but he planned it. We think of passive as sitting there and accepting something unwillingly almost. That's mm-hmm. how we would describe passive. Oh, he, he, was, he was just so passive. He just let it happen to him, we might say about something. And, and you took the word I was going to use. Passive does not equal victim. Mm-hmm. He, he is not a victim in this. Right. He, is, he is a willing servant. I think you said this too, that is orchestrating all of these events himself. The, the, the one statement that I is, am struck by and hope is encouraging was in, in the Philippians 2 passage where it talks about him humbling himself, become obedient. Well, the best thing we can do is read it. He, he emptied himself. We know that doesn't mean he 
ceased to be God, but he relinquished for a time the use of those, voluntarily did that, took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. It doesn't mean that he was obedient you know, all the way up to the, to the threshold of death, but that he was obedient in the laying down of his own life. I mean, Scripture, scripture teaches us that, right? No exactly. one takes... That's right. He says, I lay down my life, but I'm also going to pick it up again. And if that's not sovereignty, I don't know what is. I don't know if this is being trite or silly, but I've told students before, and I think this is true, if Christ had not, into, you know, on the cross, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Right. He, he chose the moment of his death. In, in the crucifixion, in many senses, was just the means man used to kill him. But if Christ had not wanted to, he could still... Would, I mean, that's not a, I don't mean to make it sound trite, but I'm trying to focus on the fact that Christ is the one who decided when he would die. And, and when he would relinquish his spirit. Well, it makes me think of the Greek word that, that was uttered, tetelestai. It was a finished deal. He said, uh, it is finished. In other words, he finished what he came here to do. He accomplished redemption's work. And then he dismissed his own spirit into the hands of his father. Uh, he was in complete control. In the book we're reading, it says... You, you've, you've basically said this, but in the exercise of self-conscious sovereign volition, knowing he had accomplished all things, and the very moment of the accomplishment had arrived, he effected the separation of body and spirit and committed the latter to his father. The, 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 he knew it was finished. Uh, the payment for sin has been paid, and now I'm going to obediently... I like the way he puts that, affect the separation of my soul and body. No other person mm. has the ability to do no. that. No, and it makes me think of Christ in this way. Some people would look at Christ as a martyr. Christ was not a martyr for a religious cause. He was a willing sacrifice for the sins of his elect people. A big difference. No one, again, no one took his life for the cause. If, if anything, he gave his life. We, we do tend to think of the passive obedience of Christ as being related primarily to what he endured during his uh, suffering and crucifixion, what, what is primarily known as the passion of Christ, um, which climaxed in his death on the cross. Uh, but the point of it being passive, before we move on to the active point, just active uh, obedience, just to, just to maybe belabor the point a bit, is that even his passive obedience he was in control of. And the beautiful sermon by Peter in Acts where he accuses those individuals who by their wicked hands have taken Christ and slain him did so according to the foreknowledge of the Father and the willingness of Christ. So his passive obedience... I think it does point to that week, that week, and especially the, the, the night and day of his crucifixion, 
but it was not that he was victimized in any way. That, that's the truth. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of what uh, Murray says here. He says, the real use of these terms is to distinguish between two aspects of the Lord's vicarious obedience. Uh, and this, of course, is talking about the binary nature of the law of God, the penal sanctions of God's law, and the preceptive demands. And we see that in Christ's active obedience, he fulfilled the preceptive demands. He discharged those duties that were part of the law. And then from his passive side, he endured the inflicted penalty or the penal sanctions of the law. So uh, again, we look at the active and passive obedience as more than just living and dying as it relates to Christ. I wanted to say that part. <laughs> no, I I'm just teasing. I really liked that. Let's 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 break that down again. Mm -hmm. The law had certain precepts. Right. Do this. Don't do that. Right. Adam failed. Israel failed. You and I failed. failed. The entire world has failed. All the world has become guilty before God. Mm -hmm. None of us have fulfilled the law's demands. I think of James chapter 2. If you're guilty in any point of the law, That's correct. you've broken it all. I've met people. You've probably met people. Maybe people are listening and think their sins aren't really that bad. Mm -hmm. But we have failed God's demands. We have not fulfilled our own obedience. Mm -hmm. So Christ came to do that in his active obedience. So there's, there's things to do, and then there's penalties for failing to do those Correct. things. And we fall under those penalties because of our failure. So Christ in his active obedience, right, wouldn't you, would you say... He not only fulfilled the demands of the law, he did it, fulfilled all righteousness, the Bible yes. says, and that made him also a perfect substitute to pay the, as you said, the penal or the punishment of the law by his suffering on the cross. Correct. And by living out that righteousness and satisfying the demands of the law, he became our righteousness. And at that point, he was able to impute righteousness to us. And so what would you say to the person who says, okay, Andy, Derek, I, I agree, I have failed. I have broken God's law. And I sure hope everybody could at least admit that, could just say, man, I have, I've not been truthful. I've not been honest. I've not, what, you know, I, I would hope most people understand the law and feel that conviction. What would you say to the person who just says, I'm just going to try to do better then? Well, the bottom line is, is I would ask, uh, what day of your life would you trust as your best day? Because the Lord is expecting perfection. He says, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy because I am holy. As you've already stated, James 2 and 10 says that if you break one law, you've broken them all. So if you're going to abide by every aspect of the law to get yourself there, then you better be very good and you better not miss it 
in the most minute areas, which is totally impossible. It makes me think about what uh, the disciples said to Christ when they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said to them, now I've got you exactly where I want you. What is impossible for you is not impossible for God. So we cannot manufacture righteousness because it is alien to us. It has to be imputed to us by God. Even our, even our righteous acts, if a person listens to this or, or comes to a conviction of their sin and says, I'm going to do better, and begins from this point onward to turn over a new leaf or become a better man or whatever, or better woman, whatever their phrase they're going to use, first of all, it doesn't overcome all the things that they have failed Correct. at in the past, but also even those righteous works God views as, what does Isaiah 64, 6 say? It's as filthy rags. Filthy rags. So there is no overcoming by our own obedience our failures. Uh, one sin condemns to hell. That's great. So I guess the question then for every person is, do I want to rely on my obedience or Christ's? Right? He, he has become a curse for us. He was able to be the, con- the, the condemned substitute because of his active obedience, because of his fulfillment, perfectly meeting the demands and punishments of, of the law of God. And this obedience, and this, this I think is why it's important to start here, this obedience becomes the ground for the rest of the work. Yeah. All, like, if Christ had not perfectly obeyed the Father's will, the cross means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, And I think of the classic passage in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, which states, For our sake he made himself to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We could only be righteous in the sight of God, being justified or uh, being uh, forensically declared right because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And that finished work means nothing apart from a life lived in obedience, which is why I started with him being called the second Adam. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. And and then we go to, and I probably should look it up. Um, Oh, I've got it. I've copied it here. Romans 5.19. For as by the one man's disobedience, we're talking about obedience, for by the one man's disobedience, that is Adam, the many were made sinners. So by the, ones, the one man's obedience, that is Christ, the second Adam, many will be made righteous. It's, it's the obedience of the Lord, his, his active obedience throughout his life, and then the climax of his obedience, Philippians 2, became obedient unto death, you know, becoming the sacrifice, which we're going to talk about in the next episode, for our sins. Obedient, the obedience of Christ is what brings about the work of God, makes it possible for our own righteousness. Once we deny our own righteousness and say, I don't have any, I need his. That's correct. 
Uh, for a person to hold on to their own righteousness, really that's an affront to God because then why did he send his son into the world to die on the cross? Why did he allow his son to be brutalized? And why, according to Isaiah, did God himself crush his son on the cross for sin if you can do it yourself? Paul in Philippians 3, remember his testimony before he met the Lord on the Damascus Road. He even says it in Philippians 3, according to the law, I was blameless. Here's a guy who is attempting to live as a lot of people in our society attempt to live. They try to be a good person. And he says, I was found in my own righteousness. Mm. I, 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 I was a person who was having confidence in myself. And then when he came to know Christ, he looked back at all of his works and accomplishments and righteousness. And we talk about Isaiah 64, 6, saying it's his filthy rags. I mean, not to be disgusting, the scripture says he, he counts them as dung. He says, right. I, I look right. at my works as trash, garbage, dung. And this is what he says here in Philippians 3, verse number 8 and 9. I count them as dung in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen to this. This is, this is the, the heart of what we're just talking about. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Mm-hmm. So if we're practically trying to apply all of this information, I asked the question earlier, are we going to depend on our own righteousness, our own obedience, or Christ's? The person who, by faith, trusts in Christ's substitutionary death has his righteousness applied to them. Right. And this makes them acceptable to God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the only way that happens. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes me think about trying to live righteously on your own, that's a burdensome thing. Hmm. You're carrying a heavy load because you can't miss it. You can't make a mistake. And yet Jesus Christ said, come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest from that because you can't do it. That's the encouragement today. What a what a thing to reflect on for today, the obedience of Christ and the rest that he offers those who would come to him and accept his free gift. Next time, we're going to talk about the sacrifice of Christ, specifically how his death atones for our sins. We hope you'll join us then. Until then, um, I won't repeat this every time, but the way you can get in contact with us is at gracebaptistromeo at gmail.com. You can text us at 586-752-4280. Our website is gbcromeo.com. You can check us out on Facebook. We hope you'll share this podcast. Most importantly, if you need help answering this question, how do I receive Christ's obedience? How do I have this transaction happen where I abandon my own self-righteousness and trust in Christ? It would give us great joy and pleasure to talk to you about that. And if you are a believer... If you are a believer, we'd just say what? We'd say, just feel blessed in the Lord and get in his word and trust in these things. These are factual uh, realities. 
Amen. Amen. We hope you'll join us next time. But until then, um, take care. We'll talk to you soon.